0: Hello listeners and thank you for being here for a couple of criminals. My name is Mariah
1: and my name is Anton and we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes.
0: We are so grateful you are here and listening to us as we navigate this podcast in every episode. We know not every episode is perfect but we are just glad you have stuck around this long and continue to support us. As we continue on, this episode is number 9 of a 50-part series that we are doing where the episodes are based around a different crime in each state in the United States in alphabetical order. So today's case will be based on a crime in Florida. Before I get into my case that I chose, Anton is going to give his favorite dad joke of the day. The floor is all yours.
1: Alright, Mariah. Why did Billy get fired from the banana factory?
0: Why did Billy... I don't know. Why did he?
1: He kept throwing away the bent ones. Oh my
0: gosh. Where do you find these jokes? Google, man. Google. (laughs) Gotta love it. Okay. As mentioned earlier, today's case is from the beautiful and humid sunshine state, that of Florida. Florida holds a very special place in both of our hearts because this is where Anton was born and raised and is also where we vacation to each year. As huge Disney lovers, having Disney World in Florida makes us even more ecstatic that we are able to visit each year. One of my favorite Florida traditions is that every fall we go to Halloween Horror Nights and get our handy dandy fast passes and go through all the haunted houses and scare zones. I look forward to it each year, but if I am being honest, Anton screams and cries the whole time and really ruins it for us all. He is quite the horror baby.
1: No, she is definitely lying. The last like... Four times we went, she's the one who screamed the most between the both of us.
0: Yeah, I was just kidding. Honestly, we are both tough as nails and don't even flinch at the scares. Anton is lying too. I'm not a screamer. I am more of, I plug my ears and close my eyes. And she, just...
1: she cheats is what she's saying. She closes her <laughs> eyes and plugs her ears.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell them what they want to hear. So, Florida has endless churros, excruciating humidity, an abundance of beautiful golf courses and snappy alligators, but it also has one of the very first female serial killers among its midst, and that is the case I am going to be discussing with you all today. It began on December 1st, 1989, when a police deputy was making his normal routes and stopped when he found an abandoned vehicle on the side of the road. Obviously no red flags... After running the plates of the vehicle, they were able to conclude that the abandoned car belonged to that of 51-year-old Richard Mallory. Richard owned a local Clearwater electronics shop. As days passed, and he was still missing, and there was absolutely no trail and no sight of him, his body actually ended up being found 12 days later on December 13th and was found in a heavily wooded area several miles away from where his car was found. When I think of the more desolate highways and roads in Florida, they really are like marshy or swampy. So it could, you know, in reality be a good spot to stash a body because the likelihood of finding it in the overgrown greenery or, you know, swampland is probably low. And I feel like due to the weather and humidity in, in Florida, the decomposition could be done at a quicker rate, don't you think?
1: Oh, no, it would definitely be hard if they're hiding him in the swamp area especially because who knows it might even be alligators who yeah could also come and eat the body so who knows if his body was ever found
0: yeah and i feel like there's so much of that like swamp marshy land in florida oh
1: it's everywhere it's
0: everywhere i mean yeah so at the scene it was clearly visible he had been shot multiple times in the chest and abdominal area after completing the autopsy, the medical examiner concluded that he had in fact shot, been shot multiple times and ultimately died to two gunshot wounds that went through his left lung and caused severe hemorrhaging.
1: Wait, so did they find his body or no?
0: Yes, they did. They oh, okay. found it in the Swamp, in the swamp Marsh yeah. area. The medical examiner also concluded that he had been drinking around the time of his death, but it was inconclusive if he was at the legal limit of intoxication. Fun question for you, Anton. Do you know what the legal blood alcohol level is in the United States?
1: I think it's like 0.08 if I'm not mistaken.
0: Oh my gosh. How did you know that? This is not like an are you smarter than a fifth grader question. I watched
1: too much cops growing up.
0: (laughs) Well, I did not know. So yes, it is like 0.085%, I believe is the exact, which for the average adult who's within their like average height and BMI, that's a total to four to five drinks.
1: Depends on the alcohol level, but yeah.
0: Yeah. As 1989 ended and 1990 began, it was a beautiful year to be living in Florida. Before anyone knew it, it was June. And on June 1st, the body of a man was found along Highway 10 in Citrus County. The victim was completely naked and was only wearing a baseball cap. It also appeared that this man had been shot multiple times to the chest as well as the abdominal area. Authorities were able to conclude that the man who was found was David Spears, 43 years old and who held the occupation of a construction worker. Not even five days later after the body of David was found, the body of Charles Corscaden was found in Pasco County.
1: Oh my word.
0: Anton? You are from Florida, and you tested me so arrogantly on my geographical skills in the last episode, so let's throw you under the bus this time around. How does that sound? How far do you think Citrus County is from Pasco County?
1: Honestly, I have no idea because I was never really on that side of the state too often, so yeah, I would think maybe they're neighboring counties.
0: Well, when I looked, it was about a 49-minute drive from county to county. So I don't think so.
1: So probably one separated.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I got you on that one. It's payback.
1: Opposite side of the state, that's all I'm going to say.
0: Charles was 40 years old, and his occupation was a part-time rodeo worker. He had also taken multiple shots to the chest and abdominal area. The medical examiner was able to find nine small caliber bullets in total in his body. So in a matter of six months, literally six short months, three bodies of middle-aged men with various backgrounds have been found in different spots in Florida counties. Maybe residents of Florida thought that whoever was behind these killings had stopped because June passed with no more bodies and then so did July. It seemed like counties in Florida could maybe rest a little easier tonight, but ultimately, people spoke too soon, and that's really what we see in these cases. In Marion County, on August 4th, police found the body of Troy Burris. Troy had been reported missing only a week earlier before his body had been found by law enforcement. Troy was 50 years old, and his occupation was that of a salesman. When his body was found, he was already decomposing which means his body had at least been there for a few days. And so you can probably connect the dots that he was, you know, reported missing a week earlier. It could have been known that he could have been out there for a week or at least a few days. Yeah, that's
1: what it's sounding like.
0: Yeah. However, even though he was decomposing, the medical examiner was still able to complete a full autopsy and ruled that he had two gunshots to his chest and abdominal area. Again, a repeat MO. Then another month passed by, and on September 12th, another body of a man was found.
1: So does this make number five?
0: Yes, that is correct. That makes it five. The body found was that of 56-year-old Charles Humphreys. Charles was a retired major in the Air Force. He was also a former police officer and child abuse investigator in the state of Florida.
1: It's also sounding like each of these guys keep getting older and older as well. That could just be a coincidence. It could be a coincidence, but it's interesting.
0: Yeah. Charles's body was found fully clothed so different than the previous. It appeared he had been shot both in the head as well as the torso so we have a little bit varying you know means of death. So this was different from the other bodies that had been found up to this point. None of them not one had been shot in the head. The medical examiner was able to conclude that he had been shot a total of six times. His body like Troy's had been found in Marion County. But his car was found in Sewanee County, which was about an hour and 30 minutes drive away. So now, as you mentioned earlier, we have a total of five bodies that have been found in different counties throughout the state of Florida. And not going to lie, if I was a resident, it did not appear to be stopping. Because as soon as they thought it was, another body was found. Just as before, there is a lapse in killings. And it seems that maybe whoever is doing these killings, whether they are separate, random occurrences or being done at the hand of one person, they have stopped. Nerves have eased, and it is about time to stuff a turkey and celebrate Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, before anyone can enjoy their stuffing and mashed potatoes and gravy, the body of Walter Antonio was found on November 19th, three days before Thanksgiving. Walter was 62, and his body was found near a remote logging road in a county by the name of Dixie. In regards to distance, because I love to give you these measurements, it appears Dixie County is about an hour and a half drive from Marion County. His body was found nearly naked, and he was dressed in a robe. And he appeared to have also been shot in the torso area and possibly the head as well. The medical examiner was able later to confirm he had actually been shot four times in the head and in the back. So oftentimes when you see this, I feel like that's that's following like an execution style. When the yeah, typically gun when you get shot in the mm-hmm. head.
1: Oh, if it's the back of the head, it's yeah. execution style. Yeah. And that's like way overkill. for yeah. Four shots to the head and four shots to the back.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. It was four probably total. two. Yeah, four total okay. gunshots. And so what I think is our law enforcement thinking like, oh, this is a totally different person. We have a totally different killer because it's a completely different MO, but different it's the pattern. same. Yeah, a different pattern of killing, but... It's the same like type of person. It's a middle-aged, you know, man. His car ended up being found a few days after his body was found, and it was actually found in Brevard County. Anton, does that county sound a little familiar to you?
1: Yeah, that's my home county.
0: Yeah. So Dixie County to Brevard County is on one side of Florida to the other. It's yeah, literally coast it's to coast. Coast to coast. It is over a three hour drive from county to county. In regards to his wounds, to me, it really does seem like an overkill. It's an execution-style overkill. In this case, up to this point, there are now a total of six bodies found, but there is only one body that has possibly been tied to these series of killings, but the body has actually never been found, and that is the body of Peter Symes. Peter was 65 at the time in June of 1990 and was heading out of Jupiter, Florida, and was supposedly heading either to New Jersey or Alabama. It's not really confirmed, and sources did vary. Law enforcement ended up finding Antonio's vehicle in Orange Springs, which is a community in Marion County, so he actually never even made it out of the state of Florida. Witnesses ended up coming forward later saying they saw two females with the car at the drop-off site or the site where the car was found. This tip was exactly what police needed because Peter fit the same MO of all the other men who had been murdered up to this point in the year or 12 months leading up to this. Florida officially had a serial killer on their hand that was targeting middle-aged men with seemingly no other connection or similarities. sounds
1: like there might have been two of them.
0: Possibly. Yeah. These witnesses were actually able to identify both women. And they were Tyria Moore and Aileen Warnos a palm print was found on the interior door handle of Peter Symes' car and it matched that of Aileen Warnos. I can only imagine the possible relief that must have came to law enforcement when they got this tip. Had they found their killer or like you said, possible killers? In regards to Peter Symes, his body has never been found, but it is ultimately presumed that he is deceased, that he died at the hand of this serial killer. So now I want to give you a little bit of background on Aileen Aileen Warnos was born in Michigan on February 29th, 1956. Her mother, Diane, was only 15 years old when she married her husband, Leo. Their marriage only lasted two years when Diane filed for divorce from him. She was seven months pregnant with Aileen at the time of the divorce and also had a son by the name of Keith, who was only about a year old as well. So they were what one would call in today's society Irish twins, because they were born within two years of each other. Ultimately, Aileen never met her father. Because he was in and out of prison. His longest stint was when he was in prison for the rape and attempted murder of a little girl. It was said that the girl was maybe only seven years old.
1: Oh my word. Yeah.
0: Aileen's father had a troubled life and was convicted of numerous sex crimes against children. And like I said, was in and out of prison and ended up dying due to suicide in prison. When Aileen was almost turning four, her mother Diane abandoned them and left both children to be raised by their maternal grandparents, who ended up legally adopting them. By the time Aileen was only 11 years old, she was engaging in sexual activity in order to get cigarettes, drugs, and food in exchange. Honestly, I can't even imagine doing that at the age of 11. Do you remember what you were doing at the age of 11?
1: Playing video games and baseball, that was probably about it.
0: At that time, I probably was playing outside with my siblings, eating popsicles, and honestly didn't even understand or know even half the things that Aileen probably had been exposed to by the time she was only 11 years old. Aileen also supposedly engaged in sexual activities with her own brother, Keith, and also claimed that she was assaulted by her grandfather, her adopted father at that point. By the time she was 14 years old, she fell pregnant at the hands of one of her grandfather's friends. She ended up giving birth at a home for unwed mothers, and that child was placed up for adoption. She dropped out of school, her grandmother had passed away, and her grandfather kicked her out, all by the time she was only 15 years old. The only way she was able to support herself was through prostitution and living in the forest near her old home where she was raised. Aileen early on began to quickly follow in the same path as her father, going in and out of jail for different crimes in 1974. First she was arrested for a DUI and firing a pistol in a moving vehicle and then she was also charged for a failure to appear which ultimately means she had a court date to appear for one or more of charges that she needed to be presented for in front of a judge and then she didn't show and a failure to appear does warrant an arrest so you will have a warrant like if you're pulled over it will populate and you can be arrested on the scene. Aileen by 1976 was living in Florida and met and married a 69-year-old man by the name of Louis Gratz Fell. Fell was a yacht club president, and the marriage of Aileen and Louis was broadcasted and printed in the local newspaper, even with a husband, and what appeared to be loads of money. I mean, somebody who is a yacht club president probably has a good sum of money.
1: You would at least think they would, Yeah, you could
0: probably put two and two together, yeah. The problem was, as Aileen was still tied to the life and crime she was accustomed to all of these years. She continued to have confrontations at local bars and ultimately wound up in jail with an assault charge. In addition, she also ended up hitting her husband with his own cane, and this ended up leading to him filing a restraining order against her, his own wife. Not after...
1: a divorce, just a restraining order.
0: Well, after only nine weeks of marriage, an annulment ended up being filed. Okay. Do you know the difference between an annulment and a divorce? Because up to this point, I actually never had any idea.
1: I don't and can't say in particular now.
0: An annulment when filed ultimately means the marriage actually never existed. It pretty much cancels the marriage in its entirety. It's not on any documents. It's literally like it never existed between the two of them. Around this time, her brother also died from cancer and Aileen had made her way back up to Michigan. She continued to have additional charges while living in Michigan, and by 1981, she was back in Florida. On May 20th, she was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for an armed robbery of a local convenience store where she stole a whopping 35 bucks and a couple packs of cigarettes. <laughs> Man, what you do for the things you need. She ended up being sentenced to prison and served about a year, but her crimes didn't stop for long because by May 1984, she was arrested again for trying to use a forge check at a bank down in Key West. Oh, beautiful Key West.
1: Man, she's moving all over Florida.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, as like you review, her crimes kept going and then they started to escalate. It was one thing after another. There were gun theft charges, there were grand theft auto charges, obstruction of justice charges, resisting arrest charges, and ultimately the list could go on. Years had passed, and sources vary, but it was either the end of 1986 or early 1987 when Aileen met a woman by the name of Tyria Moore at a gay bar in Daytona and the two moved in together. During this time, Aileen was able to support the two of them by using her prostitution wages. This life and lover. Without crime, didn't last long. In July 1987, both Aileen and Tyria were both detained by Daytona Beach Police regarding an incident where a bar tenant had been assaulted and beaten with a beer bottle. Then, a year later, in March of 1988, Aileen accused a bus driver of assault. Supposedly, she claims that the bus driver pushed her off the bus after they had gotten into some sort of heated confrontation. And you wouldn't believe who the witness was to the assault. Her lover, Tyria Moore. I mean, obviously, if they're together all the time, I get it. But if it was a false, you know, accusation against the bus driver, of course, you're going to use your, you know, your partner
1: as your witness. Yeah, of course.
0: During Aileen and Tyria's time together, they would sell stolen items at different pawn shops in Florida. And this would later prove to be like a gold trail for prosecutors and the, the police department. So now that you have some background of Aileen Aileen, and a little bit on how Tyria fits in, this puts us right up to when the murder started in 1989. The last thing I noted was the fact that witnesses were able to identify two females who abandoned Peter's car. Police were also able to find items from some of the victims at various pawn shops, and they were able to connect Aileen to the items because of fingerprints found on the receipts that were left. Can you believe that?
1: Wow, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. The media ended up dropping a story on the case and released the information about Aileen and Tyria and this led to the location of both women. Aileen on January 9th, 1991 was arrested on a warrant from a biker bar and then police were able to detain or get in communication with Tyria in Pennsylvania. It was said that Tyria became suspicious of Aileen's actions and behaviors before she was arrested by law enforcement and ended up leaving and going back up to family in Pennsylvania because of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because they were not on good terms, when the police contacted her, she agreed to get the police a confession from Aileen in order to get immunity. Tyria was put up in a hotel in Florida, so they moved her from Pennsylvania to Florida and was given supervision from law enforcement. And she made multiple calls to Aileen in an attempt for help in all of this. She wanted to clear her name. And using this tactic, it actually worked because not even three days later after the first call was made, Aileen confessed to the murders and claimed that they were self-defense because each man tried to rape her or attack her. The prosecution was able to use the videotaped phone calls and confession tapes to really help in building the case. And the prosecution also dismissed the initial claim that she was acting in self-defense with each crime because each time her story would change, every time she spoke to police. One time she would say that she acted after a rape attempt. One time she was talking about one of the murders and she didn't even say rape or assault in it at all. The defense on the other hand argues that her confession was taken involuntarily, even though her Miranda rights were given and she was provided with your public defender that you get. Ultimately, she ended up being found guilty for six murders and was sentenced to death via lethal injection. She sat on death row in Florida for 12 years before her execution in 2002. Remember, there was the seventh supposed victim who fits Aileen's M.O., but has never been found. Some sources claimed that Aileen actually said before she was executed that he is somewhere in Georgia. Didn't say where, but he has never been found to this day. And that is the story of the six confirmed victims and possible seventh victim of the serial killer Aileen Warnos. One of the first recorded female serial killers in the United States. Now, something about this case that is really controversial to this day is the fact that people say that a woman got sentenced to death in an effort of conducting self-defense. It's a very controversial topic because we weren't able to confirm or deny if she was saying telling the truth. She was in, you know, prostitution is a dangerous field for women and it's possible that, that that's what happened, but it's also possible that it was a cover up. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think like, yeah, she was in the prostitution field, but who knows if these guys were even calling for her to be, you know, prostituted out or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who knows if it was self-defense. I mean, we'll clearly never know if She was getting raped. I mean, it's all really up to what she says at this point Because we can't talk to the dead, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: and I think the other thing is too is you know She went and pawned off a bunch of their stuff like You know, there was no sense of guilt. I mean at some point like I feel like even if it's in self-defense the guilt does come and you know, the bodies were being hidden. I mean, it's just, you could spiral. Not
1: just that, like, they were all, like, really overkilled, too. Yeah.
0: So, the next thing is the seventh victim. Supposedly, he's in Georgia. Do you think he'll ever be found?
1: Honestly, for it being almost 30 years now, for what it sounds like, probably not, unfortunately to say.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just so sad for the families because he was in his late 50s and, you know, he he was getting to that point in his life where, you know, you're kind of on that time where, oh, you know, it's retirement, it's going on vacations. If he had grandchildren, you know, you're getting to, you know, develop in those new aspects of life and it was stolen from him. It was stolen from all of these men and it's just so sad. I mean, for the the six families who were able to get closure in burying their, their family member- that's some sort of closure, but for this family, they, they'll never get it. And probably we will never see his body be found because what's the odds that he's actually in Georgia?
1: Yeah. I mean, most likely from, he's most likely in Florida somewhere. That's
0: what I think too.
1: Um, if not Florida, maybe Southern Georgia. Because, I mean, I don't know how she would have transport transported. Yeah. But.
0: The final thing is, is it she ended up having a test strand and it was concluded that she did have mental disorders, um, one of them being bipolar disorder. And it was claimed, the defense used the tactic that by using her girlfriend as a tool to get her a confession, that it disregarded her rights and it took advantage of her mental state. This has been a huge controversy in addition to the self-defense controversy, but I don't know. I just think this tactic is used across the world. You you use somebody close, you have an informant and they go, you know, they use that information against them and you get them up on the witness stand. I don't think, and obviously the jury found 12 to 0 that she was guilty. And so I just think it was a tool and they needed to get the confession somehow. And they already had like other evidence to be able to tie it to her. The confessions both in the interrogation room and from the girlfriend were just kind of a cherry on top.
1: Yeah, I mean... They can literally do any, I can't say any means necessary, but.
0: But I think at some point it is any means yeah, necessary. And, the, and,
1: sh- and this other girl that she was in a relationship with came to the police pretty much and said that they she wants to help. Yeah, well, bring the police went to her and well, then yeah, she wanted to gain immunity. That she wanted to get immunity for, or even clear her name. Yeah. Um,
0: because I don't think she knew the depth of what, what her was partner going on. had been doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. Please download, like, share with your friends and family and subscribe to us. We look forward to you being back here next week where Anton will be reviewing a crime from another humid state, that of beautiful Georgia. This is your Couple of Criminals signing off.